hiked interest rates, sliding stock prices, rising gas prices. All of this is occurring while Montana's economy is booming. So, we thought we should get an update on the economy from the experts. And in this episode, Tom chats with Michael Vondra, a certified financial planner out of Billings, and Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, the associate director of the Bureau of Business and Economic Research out of the University of Montana, to explain how global inflation, housing and labor difficulties, and a European war come back to affect our economy. It's a nice quick look at the recent trends, what's going on now, and what we should expect in the months ahead. Enjoy. Today, Dr. Robert Kino Sonora um, will be joining us. He's from the BBER, Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And, uh, and he's been on frequently as we talk about. And he's got experience, no, uh, you know, as a visiting scholar of economics. At Well, you might not be able to know this specifically. We've talked about it overseas. Um, this is at the University of Zagreb in Croatia. Uh, also a two-time Fulbright recipient, too. So he's been around a little bit. It'd be good to talk with him as we look at I'm I'm curious you know, the the war we're like ten weeks into it the war the the Russia uh, Ukrainian conflict ten weeks into it maybe a little more now and uh, and we've seen a lot of fall uh, fallout from it how long are we going to continue to see this fallout and will it continue to be surprising or are we pricing things in I mean that's that's one thing but one of the things that we've seen um, a fallout from when it comes to rising inflation here and it's at record levels um, is, is a recent rate hike. And I'm curious if it was, if they just hung on to that, they don't have many in my mind the, the the fed doesn't have a ton of, I don't know that they have a ton of tools. Michael Vondra's with this Michael's certified financial planner. Uh, and, uh, and uh, good checking up with you, Michael, how you doing? I'm good, Tom. Yeah, I I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. How are you uh, hanging in there? Let's start with fed reserve. Um, they they raise interest rates a half point. In my mind, uh, I'm not sure that they have a ton of tools. This one, I think they held in their toolbox a little bit too long. I, I would have thought that once you saw that newly printed money lying around, which we did um, at the beginning of January 2021 before um, the stimulus uh, or, or the Biden stimulus and then um, an infrastructure bill was passed, I, I would have had some serious thoughts about our economy at that point. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think we can all agree two years ago, the Fed was massively intervening, you know, in the spring and then into the summer of, of 2020. And I think there was quite a bit of consensus. It was fairly bipartisan spending. Let's get some money out. The PPP loans were a huge deal. And there was kind of this all hands on deck. If we got to lower interest rates, lever up the Federal Reserve balance sheet, pump some money into the economy, let's 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 stabilize this thing. But then it almost kind of felt like there was this point of gluttony uh, uh, where, you know, they were they were pumping too much fuel into the system. And now when you look at the the American consumer's balance sheet has just billowed to this absurd point, you know, before 2000, Tom, the checking and savings accounts here across the United States had hovered for about a decade at about a trillion dollars. Americans were holding about a trillion dollars in checking and savings. Today, we have four trillion sitting in checking and savings, a 400% rise in, in liquidity in the, in the hands of the consumers over a two-year period of time. I mean, it, you don't have to be uh, uh, an economist 
like like Tino, who you're going to have on here later. You don't have to be an economist to say that spells inflation. So the Federal Reserve is kind of, as always, a little late to the party here and trying to kind of get things back under control. But uh, there's a lot of question marks as to how they're actually going to get that done. Stock markets have been slipping for a couple of weeks here. Um, uh, sometimes they'll take a, a precipitous kind of dive. This is not unexpected, though, because as we had chatted last time, um, stocks were uh, compared compared to earnings ratio um, over overinflated in that report in that regard. Or please clarify that for us. Yeah. Yep. So they were uh, they were uh, stocks were overvalued coming into the year by by historical standards. By you know we always put stocks against the backdrop of earnings, right? So again, for those folks who maybe didn't hear our previous conversation, stocks are always stock prices. You have to compare a stock's price to its profitability. What Wall Street calls profitability, they call it earnings, right? So if my lemonade stand makes or or has revenue of $10 and it costs me $8 to produce everything that went into the lemonade stand, that's $2 of profit or, or what we call earnings. And the direction of my profits determines the direction of my share price. If my profits are going up, my share price should go up. If my profits are going down, my share price should go down. Well, coming coming out of the pandemic these last couple of years, earnings have shot up, and so have and so have stock prices. But the they've gotten a little rich. They had gotten a little rich coming into the year to the point where the price to earnings ratio had gotten into kind of an uncomfortable zone. Well, the stock market, the S and P five hundred year to date is down fifteen percent. The Dow's down about 10, the S&P's off about 15, and the Nasdaq's off, NASDAQ is off about 26%. So pro, those price-to-earnings ratios are back down into kind of that very fair range. They're not undervalued yet, but the markets are back into a very fair range right now uh, uh, compared to where they've been over the past several years, Tom. What do you think about the particularly strong um, activity in, in the NASDAQ? That's been hit a little little harder than the Dow or the S&P. Yeah, yeah, and that's again it has to do with how much more overvalued the Nasdaq was. The Nasdaq is a technology centric index and and those stocks, those companies tend to grow at a much more rapid pace than your average blue chips of the world. You know, think Procter and Gamble and General Electric. You know, think about the difference between those old gray hairs compared to the new kids on the block like an Amazon or a Facebook or a Google or something like that. So typically they'll trade at a higher price to earnings ratio as compared to, you know, a Boeing or something like that. But that and that's why they're disproportionately getting beat up right now is because they were at a disproportionately higher price coming into all of this. So that um, I, that makes a, a ton of sense. Um, I want to go to one thing here. Um, when you talked about investments, um, you know, that should be made in terms of um, earnings potential. Um, I, I, I read something recently, didn't get quite deep into it, about Carvana and how it had just been you know, hemorrhaging money and how it's being propped up by new investments. Again, these are a couple of the major investors. BlackRock is one. I don't remember the other um, at the moment that um, are, are pouring money into a company like this. I'm not sure if this is a specific example or uh, exemplar, exemplary of, of activity when it comes to investing. Um, I don't know that Carvana is going to make a profit. Uh, how, uh, what do you read into that situation? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different. I mean, Carvana is one of those examples, and there's a there's a myriad of other examples out there where, w- when you buy a company, you're you're you know you would think that you're buying its current its current um, pros- prosperity landscape, but in, in investing in good companies, you're always buying its kind of its future success. Um, or if you're selling a company, you're selling its future failures, right? You're always kind of trying to project. Wall Street is always trying to project out into the future. So with a company like Carvana, their revenue between 2020 and 2021 doubled, and they lost money in that time. How did they go from 500 billion or 5 billion in revenue to 12 billion in re- revenue between 2020 and 2021? Yet they went, f- they 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 lost more money in the process. So what's happening there, Tom, is they're they're growing their revenue, they're growing their top line, but they're spending so much money on operations that they're not any more profitable. The hope, though, is eventually someday they'll be able to kind of gradually flip the switch or suddenly switch flip the switch and go from not making money to all of a sudden capturing profits and reward all of those investors that hung with them for all that time. But that can be a slippery slope. Buying blue sky, is it, it can be very rewarding, but it can also be very dangerous. Gotcha. Nothing unusual there then. Mike Vondra is with no. us, uh, Certified Financial Planners. We talk markets, economy, inflation, um, interest rates. Uh, and and um, uh, what about commodities right now? Uh, U.S. crude, I think we're at $105, $6 a barrel or, or something like that. Um, you know, are we are we going to see a stabilization um, in in perhaps crude prices? You know, I, I think so. Uh, I was sitting at an event about a week ago with a friend of mine that's in the oil and gas business. And, you know, he was just saying everybody here in our industry is a little puckered up because we just don't know exactly what's going to happen, you know, in the Middle East, Russia, Ukraine, no one really understands what the long-term impacts of that are going to be. I think I read just this morning that Japan is moving forward with some sort of a pipeline with with Russia, even after a lot of different geopolitical pressures. And so I think it's really hard for them to know, you know, how many rigs can we have running right now? How much should we be exploring? Is the regulatory landscape going to favor this when it comes to, the, you know, the po- politics of the matter? Yeah. Uh, I think it's just really hard to predict. I think there's a case for the prices to stay supported for a long time, but the commitment to actually continue to explore and produce uh, is, is you know, there's 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 not this bull rush in order to you know just just jack up exploration because they know that this thing can flip and we could see fifty dollar barrel, forty dollar barrel again, pretty quickly if we're not careful. Well, and and that's always in the back of my mind too. Um, the 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 artificial fluctuations i think they're artificial because a lot of them are political um uh, you 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 have a an administration that comes out and says um we are <laughs> we're going to shut down the oil industry the oil industry doesn't necessarily want to invest uh when it when it hears something like that yeah i think it just really makes planning very difficult for them when they know they're kind of the the dog that gets kicked, um, you know, in different economic environments, you know, they're, you know, they're kind of the one that it's, it's, it's easier to kind of punish them and point the finger at the oil, big, bad oil and gas executives. And they're just like, look, we can't get a straight answer for you guys for our exploration, our policies, our, the regulatory environment. We're just trying to, 
you know, do the best we can here. And I know there's been some, some corporate malfeasance, but I think for the most part, a lot of those companies are just trying to run sustainable operations. All right. I got to take a break, but I'm going to come on back and just have you, uh, I know that you've got a few notes and I, I just want to see what's on your plate there to, to, to pass along uh, to the public here as we look at the recent interest rate hike, but also, um, you know, how our stock markets are responding to where we're at currently in the economy, trying to look ahead to uh, possibly even some, um, well, is it going to get better? going to get worse. Uh, we'll talk more with Michael Bond to come on back here on Voices in a bit. Montanans know how special our waters are, but pests like zebra mussels and Eurasian watermill foil can harm recreational opportunities. Please help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants, and debris off your boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before you leave the access site. Drain water from motors, live wells, and bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before the next outing. And no matter what watercraft you use, please stop at all inspection stations. Together, we can protect Montana's waters. Visit CleanDrainDryMT.com. What is on your plate, Mike? What would be the uh, the biggest concern or as you look at the tea leaves um, uh, on your mind that people need to be discussing? Yeah. Um, th- yeah. Thanks, Tom. Um, and this, you know, this is a conversation I, you know, I'll listen through the end of the hour because I really want to hear, you know, Tino's sentiments on this same subject, you know, being on, he, he's, he'd be very heavy on the macroeconomic end of things. I'm, I'm a, I'm a little guy, you know, I'm just serving the main street Montanan and the, you know, the simple family here in Montana and mm-hmm. watching how these big, these big overcurrents affect, affect their lives. But, well, let me, I want to add know. in here that that runs in the family, by the way, you're a third generation <laughs> financial, financial advisor. So um, yeah. that, that was genuine there, Michael. And, and I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Okay. Keep serving the families. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's truly an honor. Um, what we have right now. So in my time in Missoula, don't hold that against me, Tom. I, I'm a Missoula grad. <laughs> I married a Bozeman grad. So I, I at least got that part. Right? I, I lived there 30 years. It, it's. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you, but you get it. <laughs> it's in my rear view now. There you go. There you go. We're reformed. So um, I love it. But but in my time in Missoula, th- this this word um, stagflation. There's a hundred different definitions of stagflation. We hear we hear inflation. Inflation is the the attention grabbing, fear mongering headline that we hear. And inflation's an issue. My favorite definition though of stagflation is a period or a a a a, a time in history where inflation outpaces wage growth, right? So let me just put, put it this way. If my wages go up by 5%, great. If my costs go up by 5%, yeah, that's, that's not great. But hey, no harm, no foul. They kind of canceled each other out. Stagflation, my favorite definition of stagflation is when inflation, when costs are going up at a faster pace than wages. And right now we are in stagflation to a pretty significant margin, actually. So wages are going up by about 6.4%, whereas inflation is about 8.6%. That's a 2.5% difference between my wage growth and my grocery bill. And that is, we're, we're literally going backwards. Now, the conversation, Tom, comes full circle with respect to that cash, right? Remember I said we had been averaging about $1 trillion in bank accounts. We're now averaging about $4 trillion in bank accounts. So if you just put it kind of on a, on a level, you know, on a level here, if you, if you used to carry about 10 grand in your savings account, statistics would say you now have about 40 grand in your savings account. And that's different for everybody, but you can have some stagflation if you've got that kind of cash in the bank. 
from all of this kind of government intervention we've seen over the past few years. The question is, is how long is that dry powder? How long is that extra gas in the tank going to last for these consumers who are getting hit with exceedingly excessively high expenses? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, perfectly. Um, So, and, and, uh... Stag, uh, stagflation, what does it lead to? Uh, a shrinking of the economy? It can. It can. And that's really what we're watching right now is consumers. You know, the, 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 it's about 70% of the reason the economy does what it does is based on consumer habits. And, and so right now, I think collectively, uh, economists, analysts, finance guys and gals like me are watching the consumer. Does the consumer change their habits? Because that can send us into a contractionary environment, economically speaking, a contractionary environment, which is what we would all refer to as a recession. A recession is two consecutive quarters of of falling GDP or contracting GDP. We just had Q1, the economy did contract at a 1.4 annualized rate. That'd be a great thing to ask Tino about because, you know, technically we are halfway into a recession right now if during q2 the economy continues to contract well hey we're in a recession and and what does that mean for labor what does that mean for hiring what does that mean for business expansion what does that mean for jobs and wages there's a lot of big questions that come from what does that mean for the markets which is really where i would more get involved so big questions to be contemplating as investors and as businessmen and women as 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 people within the community here and and that question being um, and, and Dr. Sonora, Tino, uh, is going to be on here shortly. Uh, what would you, yeah. what would you uh, query of him? I would ask, if I, if I could be talking to him right now, I would say, hey, Tino, what are your thoughts? And he won't, he won't have a, you know, an exact answer. He'll kind of He's listening, by the way. He's, he's on oh, hold perfect, and perfect. he's listening, so, yes. Per, that's awesome. So I would just say, hey, how, how close are we to actually squashing inflation? I mean, it's... A 25 basis point hike, a 50 point basis hike, uh, another one or two percent in rate hikes, three percent in rate hikes. Is that it? Is that all we have to do to take this record inflation down with this much cash sitting on the sideline, with this many people not working in jobs? There's some massive forces that are colliding here. Is it really going to be that simple? Or are the glory days of 15 percent mortgage rates from the early 80s? Are those back on the table? Are those coming up on the horizon here, or is it like no? We can we can squash all of this with a couple of with a couple of Fed in, interventions. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. Um, so let's get them on. I got to take a break and uh, and we'll come on back, Michael. It's good to hear from you. I appreciate that. I hope you're well. I know you said you're yeah. doing good. Um, yep. and I appreciate that. And uh, we'll chat down the road. Okay. Yes. Thanks, Tom, for having me on. Yeah, Michael Vondra, certified financial planner. You can just look him up uh, again. It's Vondra V O N. D-R-A. We'll take this break, and then Dr. Robert Tino Sonora is going to be on here from the BBR in just a bit. Here is BB with headlines. When it comes to agriculture, anything can happen, and it usually does. At Northwest Farm Credit Services, our business is safeguarding yours. We provide a variety of crop and livestock insurance options, and our agents don't just know insurance, we know farming too, which means we know what it takes to keep you up and running, even if the unexpected occurs. So if safeguarding your business sounds like a good plan, give us a call. Northwest Farm Credit Services, here to help you grow. Equal opportunity provider and employer, equal housing lender. 
During the pandemic, many of us postponed health care appointments, but now it's time to catch up on checkups. From well visits, annual exams, and immunizations, to preventative screenings and scans to catch issues early, to visits with specialists for chronic conditions, and the dentist and eye doctor, too. Let's all focus on health and get health care appointments back on the calendar. Start by making a health care appointment today. Learn more at Facebook.com slash health 406. Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services. All right, welcome back. Uh, Dr. Robert Tino Sonora is with us here now. As um, um, talked about, associate director of the BBER, has experience as a visiting scholar of economics, uh, and this was at the University of Zagreb in Croatia. Um, so he knows the landscape um, internationally, uh, but also as an associate director of the BBER, Bureau of Business and Economic Research at the University of Montana, knows this uh, this landscape here, too, and I certainly appreciate as an economist, his expertise. Uh, good morning, Dr. Sonora. Tino, how you doing, sir? All right, Tom. How are you doing? Hanging. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. Appreciate that. It's time we catch up. Um, uh, first of all, though, Michael Vondra, and I think you heard him, certified financial planner, wanted to know, and that's a, that's a very good question. I had it on my deck, too, um, you know, with yeah. that 0.5% interest rate hike. Uh, how? Um, what are the mechanisms then to, as, as Michael had said, squashing inflation? Will, will an interest rate hike, um, whatever it amount uh, or whatever it ends up being, um, do that trick? You know, it's going to be tricky. I mean, let me just say a couple things first before I answer that question directly, that monetary policy is a very quick instrument in terms of implementation, but tends to be very slow in actually rec- realizing the results. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, you know, the sort of, Back of the envelope calculations show that the monetary policy can take anywhere up to 18 months to actually be effective. So what the Fed is doing now, you know, um, you know, a lot of Fed watchers and myself included, we we got it wrong before. I, I don't think we recognized just how bad this was going to get. But you know, to to truly quash inflation in the short term, you know, the Fed should have acted probably last year yeah. uh, a little bit more robustly and sort of slowly start ramping things up. But, you know, that we, you know, but there are so many shocks that have hit the economy. Um, secondly, I would say that, you know, what the Fed is actually what their policy does is really handle demand side of inflation. So it, it's intended to reduce consumer expenditures. Uh, it's in, it intended to reduce some some borrowing and these kinds of things by firms as well as households. And so it's really intended on the demand side of the equation. But, of course, you know, as an economist, we have the supply side as well, which we have to concern ourselves well. And a lot of the shocks that we're seeing are supply side types of shocks, and they just keep kind of adding on top of each other to sort of this perfect supply side storm where you've got, you know, COVID raging in China. China's kind of bungled its entire COVID response, and so it's on shutdown. Um, That's restricting exports from China coming in, and that's going to start ramping up prices and, and increasing transportation costs. You've got the war in Ukraine. Uh, which is having a ripple effect uh, for uh, oil markets as well as other commodities. You know, wheat in particular is a big one, and they supply uh, collectively Ukraine and Russia supply about a third of the world's wheat. And so, you know, we've got, you know, that's not what the Fed policy can fight directly. It's more of an indirect thing and try and just uh, get get the supply and demand into into shape, into, into sort of uh, agreeing, I don't know, equilibrium. Um, but, again, it might take some time for this actually to be effective. And that's, um, well, and that's why we had kind of been critical. Uh, I know I have, uh, like I said, uh, a while ago, when you start seeing that amount of money piling up, especially freshly printed, 
Um, you know, there was, yeah. there was writing on the wall. Um, Tino, I'm up against a break here and I appreciate you being here. We got so much more to cover and, um, and, and yep. we'll, we'll finish. Th- we got more on this topic too, as we'll continue on. Dr. Right. Robert Tino Sonora from the BBER here today on Voices of Montana. Voices of Montana continues right after this. Join Town Pump's Pump It Up Rewards Plus program and never pay full price for fuel again. Save five cents on every gallon every day at any Town Pump across Montana. Plus, earn and redeem points on your favorite in-store items to get free stuff with our clubs. Stop in and pick up a rewards card. Download the Pump It Up Rewards Plus app today. Or visit townpump.com slash rewards to register and start saving. Now back with Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, Associate Director of the BBER and uh, also Director of Health Research um, and just uh, just a ton of experience too. Comes to Montana as he was a professor of economics at uh, Fort Lewis College in Colorado. And I mentioned uh, his his work in Croatia. That continues even today. And uh, and Tino, I really appreciate you being here. Let's, um, first of all, um, uh, you, you do have uh, associations over in Europe, um, and I, I assume that you've talked to them about this conflict. What's on their minds? Oh, I, you know, I think we talked uh, last time. You know, obviously there's some concern. Uh, I think it's kind of calmed down a little bit now. My sense is um, no one seems to be that panicky. I think in the initial stages there was kind of a, a concern about a redo of, of conflict or some sort of, you know, nationalist risings in Serbia in particular. But I think that's kind of calmed down now. want to uh, finish Which up that – which is good, yes. Uh, and and yeah. you know, as as you had kind of said, I will get to that question in a bit. Is are there more surprises coming out economically when we see this conflict, which is likely to continue on for a while? Um, but I'm not sure we close the loop there, and it's hard. Obviously, uh, you know, <laughs> how, how close are we to squashing uh, inflation? Um, what 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 measures? Um, like, and I've said, I don't think the Fed has a ton of. Um, tools in their toolbox. Um, but but uh, what else do you see now? Because we, we've we seen record rise in inflation. And as uh, Michael had put out earlier, stagflation, where our wage growth is not keeping up. Well, you know, yeah, usually we define stagflation as a shrinking economy with some inflation. So that's usually associated with a supply side type of uh, shock. So uh, you see, you do see, you know, falling unemployment or rising unemployment at the same time as as uh, as rising inflation, um, I know Michael mentioned earlier that that the first quarter of this year's you know we had a decline in GDP, but that's kind of normal. Uh, it's winter, you know, a lot of things slow down during the winter, so that's not completely unusual. I think um, it's a little too early to say whether or not we're headed towards recession. Um, the recession probability indicators aren't yet kind of in panic mode um, that I've seen, so. You know, I, I I wouldn't discount that there's probably going to be some sort of slowdown here um, in the next year or so. I, I would I wouldn't say that. Um, it's particularly with the Fed trying to trying to ramp up interest rates and doing it relatively quickly. Um, as I said earlier, I think they're a little bit behind the eight ball. It does take time for that Fed policy to actually sort of manifest itself in the desired outcomes, which in this case would be lower inflation. And they're really concerned about also you know undermining employment. Um, but I, I know they want to get inflation in check, and they, they want to make sure uh, that they have credibility in fighting inflation and keeping it in that 2 2% range is kind of their target. 
Um, they might have, you know, who knows what they could do. They could change a target. I mean, there's so many uh, unexpected shocks that are happening these days that we just, yeah. it's just, it's hard to keep up. You know, I just, it's, it's impossible. Well, keep, and, and yeah, uh, and that's part of the fun of it here too, is there, there mm-hmm. are so many of these variable variables. Uh, and I know as an economist, you take into account these variables, but generally you have a handle on some of those variables or most of those variables, I think. Um, it's really, well, t- you know, go ahead. Yeah. 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 And I was going to say that, you know, anymore, there's so many, there's so much more information that we have access to as an economist, but it's kind of almost, mm. um, we're starved with riches, you know, it's just like, well, what, what do we focus on? I mean, so a lot of people will focus on say consumer sentiment, but there's a lot of studies that show that consumer sentiment is like primarily tied to things like the gas price. Um, and so when gas prices go up, people start feeling bad because that's something they see every, every day, you know, it's very, it's very tangible. Um, so, you know, there, there's that. We look at the stock markets, but there's been a disconnect between the stock markets and the real economy. And most people think that. For how long? Um, oh, I, 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 you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, in the long run, I mean, it's these fluctuations. I think over the longer term, yes, the stock market and the, and the economy are tied together. And, you know, theoretically, then the stock market should grow at some rate kind of commensurate with the GDP growth rate. Um, but, you know, these day-to-day fluctuations, the stock market gets easily spooked, you know, um, and so I think that's what's driving some of these things right now. The underlying economy is, while experiencing inflation, I mean, what I think the stock market is reacting to primarily now is, is those Fed increases. Um, you know, bonds get a little bit more attractive, they're low risk, and so people start selling their stocks and moving their moving their assets into bonds. And I'm sure you talk, I didn't catch all of your discussion with Michael, mm-hmm. but I assume you probably talked about some of that stuff as well. Um, and in addition to that, there's a lot of churn going on in what consumers are buying. You know, I mean, what are what are they buying? I mean, during the during the pandemic, we kind of shifted our consumption away from service consumption, like restaurants and and movies, and moved into durable goods, and 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 that still hasn't kind of come back to quote unquote pre-pandemic norm yet. And so there there's some uncertainty going on there. You asked me what surprises to expect. You know, uh, that's the definition of a surprise, right? Which is, we don't know what could happen. You know, I mean, uh, you know, God forbid, uh, you know, Putin decides to drop a bomb or something. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, that, I guess that would be the worst outcome of what's going on right now. Yeah. But who knows what's going to happen? Uh, well, you know, that- Hong Kong's have it. You know, I could go on for days, I guess. Let's really. let's play in that area for a while. And then I got a question about the ho- okay. housing market. It's a simple one. When's it going to crash from the, the text message? But <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, right. Real easy. <laughs> so we've seen 10 weeks of this and and we've seen some initial reaction uh, to the economy of the conflict. Um, are there? And so there was a, a number of dark clouds that came in, landed on us. Um, is that the bulk of them? Are those the hardest things to manage? Um, or, and I know you don't have a crystal ball, uh, but will this conflict continue to produce any more major um, dark clouds, or have we kind of seen uh, the coming of that? I don't know. I think, you know, again, I, it, it remains to be seen. So when I, when I look to sort of look into a crystal ball kind of thing, what I tend to look at frequently is an exchange rate, um, because that sort of shows people's confidence in a given currency. Now, the exchange rate is, offense, is affected in the short term by a number of different factors. So, for example, uh, during the early days of the conflict, um, you know, the, the Russian National Bank jacked up interest rates to make sure that rubles weren't leaving, the, leaving and going into dollars or euros or some other foreign currency. Um, the, the central bank, is, Russia, has lowered their, their, their interest rate, but the, the ruble has actually gotten a little bit stronger. Um, 
than it was even pre-war. So from that front, if I'm just looking at exchange rates, you might say, well, there's people kind of, I don't want to say this, this is not a definite, it's just a hypothesis, that maybe people kind of quasi-accepted the current status of the war right now, but certainly that does not discount that something crazy could happen, um, you know, and, and that's highly possible and could just send things into a tizzy again. So from that front, it looks like people kind of, taken this into consideration, at least markets have, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of huge, horrible human toil. I think, you know, post-war it's going to be kind of, uh, I don't, who knows what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be very difficult for, uh, for Russia for some time. And then Ukraine's got to rebuild. And so, you know, we've got, we've, there's a lot to, to say. And, and I think, but just looking at exchange rates, you know, that seems to be that kind of, this is kind of like an, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately kind of a norm. For now in the markets anyway interesting um yeah it's it's a 10-week conflict at this point um many are right. saying it's it could be very much a lasting conflict um it, do, yeah let's hope not let's hope it's not like a, a korean kind of stalemate kind yeah. of idea where you know yeah you enter another cold war yeah they're kind of like friendly adversaries or, or unfriendly adversaries that are just kind of unwilling to to start a war again um yeah i who who knows uh, I could be lasting. I mean, obviously, the the echoes of this will be felt for decades, right? Um, but what what it has effect it has on the economy is, is going to be. Uh, I think no one really knows for sure at this yeah. point. Bumpy ride, and and so hang on, folks. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah. Um, uh, I just want to spend like a minute on this before we we come on back after break and talk about um, the housing crunch but uh, yep. uh our our trade deficit it uh, it went up in march kind of uh, significantly 20 billion dollars is um is that yep. significant well i mean you know it, it it depends i mean you know the trade deficit is has gone up generally with the americans buy more goods and merchant what's called the merchandise trade uh more goods from abroad and a lot of that's intermediate goods um you know um and so we do end up buying a lot of stuff um from abroad for for, in, for inputs out of production. And remember, too, you know, prices are rising. So the trade deficit is a value. So gotcha. it's not, you know, the actual number of goods might be going may be the same, but because prices are rising for a variety of reasons, that could be what's driving some of that deficit. Good point. Um, you know, what's helping keep inflation down, too, is those the dollar has gotten stronger against most other currencies. So that's helping sort of deflate some of those inflationary pressures that we're seeing um, precisely because, of, you know, each dollar will buy more unit you know, of foreign currency. Um, so when we do import things from, say, China or Germany or wherever, we're, we're actually getting be able to get more for a dollar than before. But you add to that the, the amount of inflation that's also in there, and, and, and does that then get passed through into our domestic prices? So these are uh, – it seems like these punches are, are a bunch of blo- body blows, um, weakening us but not necessarily yeah. knocking us out. Uh, I do want to say – go, go ahead. Oh, I just well, I would just want to say, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, imports were up also uh, uh, 32.9 billion. Our exports, I guess, is what I'm going to. Exports also yep. increased during that time, too. So uh, yep. you're right. That's yep. probably just, just plain inflationary pressures. All right, it's everybody's least right. favorite, but most uh, favorite question um, our, our housing market. I'll take a break and come on back and, and give some, save some time uh, for that with Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, Associate Director of the BBER. During the pandemic, many of us postponed health care appointments, but now it's time to catch up on checkups. From well visits, annual exams, and immunizations, to preventative screenings and scans to catch issues early, to visits with specialists for chronic conditions, 
and the dentist and eye doctor too. Let's all focus on health and get healthcare appointments back on the calendar. Start by making a healthcare appointment today. Learn more at facebook.com slash health 406. Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services. Back with Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, again, Associate Director of the BBER, Director of Healthcare Research um, and Senior Research Professor, too. A lot of things going on there. I know you guys uh, will probably be out in the summer again doing an Outlook series. I'm looking forward to that, Tino. Um, I, I want to, I got to get to this question on the text line because it's on everybody's mind. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty simple. When is the housing market going to crash? Uh, as far as the question uh, goes, the answer may be tough. Yeah, I you know. Uh, who knows? Right. You know, the question is, uh, who? I, I don't know. It doesn't on have demographics. to. Do people can, doesn't maybe have it doesn't, to crash. Maybe it doesn't have to. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't have to. And I don't think that it's going to be, if it does, you know, famous last words. I'm, I'm starting to eat my words a lot <laughs> these days. But famous last words, you know, I don't think it's going to be, if it does, it's, I don't think it'll be as tumultuous as the last crash. Oh, yeah. A lot of the last crash, the cro- problems were caused by some sort of uh, questionable mortgage lending practices, as well as some crazy types of... Um, of, of mortgages that were being offered, such as, you know, interest-only mortgages and these kinds of things, yeah. which, which uh, people got a little carried away with. Uh, you know, I think the market for mortgage-backed securities has come down, so it, the banks won't be as exposed as they were. So I don't see a similar type crash. Uh, but, as you know, with interest rates rising, mortgage rates up uh, on average maybe up to 5%. So it, it's going to start slowing down. Now, whether or not uh, prices come back down dramatically, or if it just sort of slows the rate of growth. Uh, my guess is it's probably closer to the latter. I think mm-hmm. we're actually going to start seeing the growth rate starting to slow down. Um, the average housing prices generally rise at roughly the rate of inflation. So if you sort of think of that as a benchmark, um, it might come down like that. But, you know, there's some supply side issues again. You know, you're hearing me say that a lot today, but. Um, you know, we just aren't building enough. And, and part of that's just purely people. You know, we just don't might not have enough people. Some of it has to do with zoning restrictions. Yeah. Um, some of it has to do with supply side issues. You know, yeah, you can build a house. You just can't put a dishwasher in it. Um, so um, as long as it's kind of we have a supply sort of chokehold, I think it's, it, you know, prices, as long as people want to keep coming, you know, it's not just happening here. I, I think that, that will continue. A lot, a lot of factors into that too, as I just read recently. Yeah. You know, the the sixty plus percent rise in the median price of home in the uh, in the Missoula market. I think it was like forty percent in in the Bozeman market. We don't have a, a ton of time to go into it, but uh, right. you know, uh, you can do a lot on there. But it, it's um, getting recovery from that kind of hike. Uh, I don't think can be expected. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting couple of years, Tom. It is, yes. At least there's that, right? We're optimists. Uh, Exactly. Let's leave it at that. It's going to be interesting. We'll see you around, too, Tina. Okay, safe travels, and always uh, appreciate you you getting us up to date here on the program. Well, thank you very much, Tom. You know I like coming on and talking to you. It's always fun. Great great stuff, too. Be well, and we'll see you guys tomorrow.